0: For several weeks, we've examined numerous prayers in a sermon series entitled I Pray. We have gleaned valuable truth from those prayers, imported that into our own prayer life, and today we come to the world's toughest prayer. It's found on the lips of Jesus. It ought to be found on the lips of all of Christ's followers. This morning I invite you to take your Bible and turn to the gospel according to Matthew chapter 26. I'll be reading verses 36 to 46. Once you've found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. Matthew chapter 26, let's begin at verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, May this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible, for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near and the son of man is betrayed in the hands of sinners. Arise, let us go, for here comes my betrayer. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. You may be seated. Allow me to set the stage for our story. Jesus had already entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, To the triumphant applause of the crowd who shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Judas had already agreed to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver in accordance with the prophet Zechariah. The disciples had already secured the upper room, made all the proper preparations needed for Passover. Jesus had already presided over the Passover instituted what you and I call the Lord's Supper, identified Judas as the betrayer, and foretold that all the disciples would fall away on this night on account of him. As the evening unfolds, the drama intensifies. Jesus takes his disciples outside the city gates. They enter into the Garden of Gethsemane, there at the Mount of Olives. Jesus says to them, Stay here while I'll go over there and pray. He takes the inner circle with him, Peter, James, and John. And Matthew says that they go a little bit farther and Jesus is full of sorrow and troubled. He has a deeper sorrow than he's ever experienced before. This sorrow is deeper, it's more profound than even when he stood at the tomb of his best friend, Lazarus. This is a deeper sorrow than Jesus experienced just a few days earlier before he triumphantly entered the capital city of Jerusalem and looking over that sacred city, Jesus said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you as a hen gathers chicks, but you were not willing. This is a profound sorrow. The word actually means to be crushed with anguish. For Jesus to say that he is troubled, it's a word that means that he has experiencing terrible misery. Jesus is sad. He is sorrowful. He is overwhelmed. He is devastated. He is grieving. He's full of anguish. He's in terrible misery. He is stressed out. Some have even said that at this moment, Jesus is about to have an anxiety attack. You sit there and you think to yourself, now wait a minute, how can Jesus have an anxiety attack? How can Jesus be stressed out? Isn't he God? Well, of course he's God. You're exactly right. In fact, no truer statement has ever come across your mind. Yes, Jesus is completely God. He's not another God, a lesser God, a creation of God, or merely like God. He is God. He's God in the flesh. He is the co-eternal, co-existent one with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. But while Jesus is completely God, he's also completely human. This is hard for us to understand. It's not that Jesus is a 50-50 split between his deity and his humanity. It's not that he's a 60-40, 80-20 version of either way. No, he's 100% God and 100% human. To say that Jesus is completely human is to say he knows what it feels like to be tired. He knows what it is to be hungry. He knows what it is to be sad. He knows what it is to be overwhelmed with grief. And he even knows what it is to be stressed out. In this moment, Jesus is enormously stressed on the verge of an anxiety attack. He is full of sorrow. He's full of trouble. It is Dr. Luke who tells us that Jesus goes a stone's throw away from them and he kneels down to pray. Matthew says that he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. When you put those two portraits together, what Luke says and what Matthew says, you find that Jesus collapses under the weight of stress. At first he goes and he kneels in prayer and then he's so overwhelmed that that kneeling becomes a collapsing and he's collapsed there uh, face down on the ground and he's just crying out unto the Lord. It is also Luke who is a doctor by trade who tells us that Jesus' sweat drops of blood And those sweat drops of blood fell to the ground. The medical condition is called hematidrosis. Even doctors today will affirm that while it is uncommon, it is quite possible for somebody to be so overwhelmed with stress that the capillaries, usually in the face and forehead region, they begin to swell and burst. What's secreted through the sweat glands is a mixture of blood and sweat. So what Luke identifies as something that actually could happen when someone is so overwhelmed with stress and grief and sadness and sweat drops of blood falling to the ground. You and I know a thing about stress, don't we? We know what it is to be stressed out. We get stressed out because of family and finances, we get stressed out because of problems and responsibilities. We get stressed out because of deadlines at work. We get stressed out because unexpected car repairs and very untimely furnaces that go out at your house. I mean, we get stressed out because of things that just go wrong at the drop of a hat. We get stressed out because of our marriage and our children and our workplace and our friendships. We get stressed out over a host of things. But I dare say that none of us has ever been so stressed out that you had drops of blood falling from your brow. Yet Jesus is overwhelmed with stress. And why is that? Why is Jesus so stressed in this moment? I don't think it's because of the physical pain that he knows he's about to endure Now don't get me wrong, I don't think Jesus is excited about what he's going to have to physically experience over the next 18 hours. I mean, he's not looking forward to being crucified on a cross. He's not looking forward to being punched and bruised. He's not looking forward to be beaten beyond all human recognition. He's not really looking forward to a crown of thorns being shoved on his head, a sword piercing his side, rusty spikes being driven through his wrists and feet. He's not real excited about them plucking the beard off of his face. He's not real excited about the physical pain he's inevitably going to endure, but I don't think that is what stresses him out. I think what overwhelms him in stress is the spiritual pain that he knows he's going to experience. For the first time ever, there's going to be a momentary splintering and severing of the Trinitarian relationship. This has never happened before. In eternity past, it will never happen again. In eternity future. For the Trinity has always existed in that sweet community of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's been a sweet union and communion for all of eternity. But in this moment, Jesus understands that what he's about to endure is going to cause a momentary splintering of that relationship. So much so that Jesus will cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus will feel and experience a God-forsakenness and a God-abandonment that he had never endured before. And I think it's the thought of this spiritual pain that causes him to collapse under the weight of the stress and the pressure of the moment, and he prays. In this moment, Jesus does not doubt God, He doesn't deny God. He does not have plans to disobey God. (laughs) He simply prays to God. There's a valuable lesson in that, isn't there? That when you're at the moment of an anxiety attack, when you're at the moment of being stressed out, when you have so much on your plate that you think to yourself, I cannot experience one more thing. If my cell phone rings one more time, if that boss comes in, it gives me one more deadline, if one more demand is placed upon my schedule, I think I'm going to snap in that moment, my friends. That is a great moment to pray. It is a great time for you to fall on your face before the Lord. This is what Jesus does. He doesn't deny God. He doesn't doubt God. He doesn't disown God. He doesn't disobey God. He prays to God. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. This morning, I want you to notice two characteristics of that prayer. First, I want you to take note of the raw sincerity of Jesus. Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But the second thing I want you to note is the radical submission of Christ. Yet not my will, but your will be done. I want to submit to you this morning that this is Christian prayer. That this prayer of Christ is an example of what Christian prayer is all about. For Christian prayer is permeated with raw sincerity and is punctuated with radical submission. That, my friends, is Christian prayer. This is what we see Jesus modeling for us in this moment of darkness, in this moment of despair, in this moment of being overwhelmed with grief and stress. Jesus prays and his prayer is permeated with raw sincerity. And it's punctuated with radical submission. Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Jesus is not asking not to save sinners. It's not that Jesus wants to abort the mission. It's not that Jesus doesn't want to come and fulfill the task that God had given him to do before the very foundation of the world. For you realize that Jesus understands he's been on a crash collision course with Calvary for a mighty long time. I mean, he knew from ages past he had been sovereignly selected. He had been placed here to be our substitute, to die in our stead so that we could have a fullness of God, an experience of the Lord, both now and forevermore. Jesus knew that he came to seek and to save the lost. And he understood that in order to do that, he had to be our substitutionary sacrifice. He's not asking to abort the mission he's not asking not to save sinners he's just saying father is there another way for us to do the same thing is there another way for us to achieve the same task father if it's possible take this cup from me in the old testament and the new testament the imagery of a cup especially when it comes to divine issues the 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 Symbol of a cup was always the imagery of holy hostility, judgment being poured out upon humanity. It was symbolized as the wrath of God. It was the judgment of God towards sinners, towards a wretched, sinful humanity. It always symbolized in that cup. Jesus is asking, Father, is it possible for us to save sinners apart from me having to drink every last drop of your holy hostility towards sin? Is it possible for us to save sinners without me having to go to and through the cross and having that momentary severing and separation from you? Is it possible? My friends, this is raw sincerity. Jesus is asking something huge, isn't he? He, He's asking something rather significant, don't you think? (laughs) He's coming to God the Father and saying, God, is there a way for us to save sinners apart from the cross? Is there a way? For if there is a way, then can we do that? If it's possible. Let this cup of suffering pass from me now my friends there is a there is a great life lesson in that because certainly you have moments situations of suffering in your life I'm not saying that that your suffering saves anybody like the suffering of Jesus is our salvation but what I am saying is that you suffer enormous things you you suffer significant things And in that moment of your suffering, it is quite acceptable for you to take your request to God. And he can handle anything you ask. He can handle any request that you make in raw sincerity. He can handle your questions. He can handle your doubts. He can handle your dismay. He can handle all of the issues that swirl in your heart, in your mind, in your life, and you go to God in raw sincerity. But Jesus doesn't just leave it there, does he? He also prays in radical submission. Yet not my will, but your will be done. I think this is what makes this prayer the world's toughest prayer to pray. It's easy to pray in raw sincerity. It's easy just to bear your soul before God. Even pagans do that from time to time. God, I don't know if you're real, but if you are real, I want you to heal my boy. God, we don't talk very much, but I tell you what, if you give me that job, if you give me that promotion, I just might believe more in you. God, I am not really a religious person, not really a church goer, but if you give me this sign, if you do this thing in my life, then just maybe I will be more devoted to you. Even pagans can pray with raw sincerity. Even pagans can request of God some huge favors. Even pagans can come to God and say, God, if you do this, that would be really swell. Even pagans can pray in raw sincerity, but no pagan ever prays with radical submission, yet not my will, but your will be done. This is what makes this prayer the world's toughest prayer. Jesus prays, not just with raw sincerity, but also with radical submission. Oh, Father, it's, it's not my will, but your will. It's not what I want, but what you want. You get the first word and the last word, and you get every word in between. God, this is up to you. It is not my deal. It's not my decision, but God, I'm just coming to you. I'm laying my request before you. I am just uh, bearing my soul, my heart to you, but your will be done. Christian prayer is permeated with raw sincerity and punctuated with radical submission. This is how Jesus prayed after about an hour he goes back and finds the disciples asleep could you not keep watch with me for one hour he asked now before you indict those dim-witted disciples before you interrogate them and say what in the world are you thinking can't you stay awake Let me just ask you this. If Jesus were to show up on a random Thursday night in your life, would he find you being obedient to him? This is a Thursday of Holy Week. And if Jesus were to show up on any Thursday in your life, would he find you being obedient to him? It's not that the disciples are sinning; they're just sleeping. And after all, it's late. It's late at night. Everybody else is asleep. The disciples ought to be asleep. Jesus ought to be asleep. And they just got done with the biggest meal they ever eat every year. It's the Passover. This is a huge meal. And what happens to men late at night with a full stomach? They go to sleep, don't they, right? So before we interrogate those disciples and before we indict them, maybe we should identify with them. For maybe there are times that Jesus shows up on a random Thursday in your life, and he may find you asleep. He may find you disobedient to him. Jesus says to Peter, especially, keep watch. Watch and pray so that you will not enter into temptation. Oh boy, what a great life lesson is that? That if you want to be strong in temptation, you better be strong in prayer. If you want to be strong enough to withhold temptation and withstand temptation, then you need to be strong in prayer. Jesus knows what Peter is about to experience. He's already predicted, Peter, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. You'll disown me. You'll act as if you never met me before. And Peter, the only way you're going to be able to stand against it is to pray. Friends, if that's true for Peter, it's also true for you and me, right? So keep watch and pray. The spirit is willing, but the old flesh is weak. So Jesus goes back to pray a second time. Father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken from me, your will be done. Did you hear the subtle difference between the first prayer and the second prayer? The first is a raw request. Uh, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup be taken from me. Apparently, within that hour of prayer, God the Father gave God the Son the answer. It's not possible. It's not possible for this cup to be taken from you. You know, sometimes when you pray to God, God gives you the answer. He may say yes, he may say no, he may say wait, but he always answers your prayers. And how do you handle it when God tells you no? You ask for something, you request it of God, and God says no. Here, God the Father said to God the Son, no, it is not possible. It's not possible. Jesus asked, if it's possible, let this cup be taken from me. The second prayer, if it's not possible... Once again, your will be done. My friend, how do you handle it when God tells you no? Jesus could have handled it in many ways. He could have said, listen, Father, if you're not gonna give me the answer I want, I'm out. Forget it. I know I was created for this, but I'm not gonna do it. If you don't give me my demands, I'm walking away. He could have responded that way. Now, some of you are smirking on your face because you think, no, Jesus would never do that. But some of us do that, don't we? We say, God, this is what I want. If it's possible, take away my suffering. If it's possible, take away my sadness. If it's possible, take away the pain that I'm experiencing. And God may just tell you, no, it's not possible. How do you handle it when God tells you no? You know, our children don't like us to tell them no. We don't like our bosses to tell us no. We've got this great idea, right? And we go in and we uh, throw the idea to our boss and our boss says, no, can't do it. What? we Our children come to us and say, Dad, Mom, can I do this? You say, no, can't do it. What? If we don't like it when parents say no, if we don't like it when the boss says no, we probably don't like it when God says no. So how do you handle it when God tells you no? I'll tell you what Jesus did. Jesus said for a second time, your will be done. Jesus prayed a second time, your will be done. If it's not possible... For this cup to be taken from me, your will be done. Now, why does Jesus have to pray that a second time? He is God for crying out loud. He's the God man. The Christ child is the God man. Why in the world does Jesus have to pray again, your will be done? Let me give you my answer. I think that Jesus is furrowing faithfulness into his spirit. He says the first time, not my will, but your will be done. He has to say a second time, not my will, but your will be done. He will say a third time, not my will, but your will be done. What is he doing? He is furrowing faithfulness into his spirit. He is drilling it down deep. And if Jesus has to do that, how much more do we have to do that? My friend, it is good to pray with raw sincerity. Bear your soul before the Lord. But I want you to also pray with radical submission. And that's what makes this so tough. And I suggest to you that like Jesus, you've got to furrow faithfulness inside of yourself. And one of the ways you and I can do that is that we repeat to ourselves and repeat to God, not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. Not what I want, but what you want. Your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are better than my thoughts. So I am not God, you are. Your will be done. And Jesus is furrowing that faithfulness into his spirit. He goes back, checks on the old boys, and the disciples are asleep again. Apparently, they can't pray for five minutes without drifting off to sleep. But watch out, don't indict them. Because many times you and I can't pray for five minutes without falling asleep too. He doesn't even say a word this second time. Then he goes back and for a third time he prays. Matthew just simply tells us he prays the same thing again. What's the same thing he prays. He prays, Father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken from me, not my will, but your will be done. On three occasions, he prays with raw sincerity and with radical submission. After praying a third time, he goes back and once again, he finds those disciples asleep. He says, arise, let us go. For here comes my betrayer. Jesus entered the garden that night in despair. And he walked out of that garden that night in determination. Nothing was going to stop him. Nothing was going to derail him. He walked in and he had a big request of God. But on three occasions, he said to the father, not my will, but your will be done. He got the answer. Maybe not the answer he was looking for, but he got the answer. And he had to drill that answer deep into his spirit and he walked out of that garden that night and he was determined. Here comes my betrayer. It's gonna go exactly the way God has for it to go. Here I am, God. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And he walks out in determination. I heard a preacher say one time that sometimes we think prayer It's simply a stick. And God is a pinata. And we just whack God with a stick of prayer. And we think that if we whack him hard enough, goodies from heaven will fall from the sky. Well, my friends, this is not how Jesus prays. It's not how Jesus uses prayer. No, Jesus prays, and in this prayer of Matthew 26... His prayer is permeated with raw sincerity and it's punctuated with radical submission. So what does that look like in your life? What does that look like in my life? It could be like that single woman who desperately wants to find Mr. Wright, but he seems nowhere to be found. So she goes to God in prayer. She says, God, I really want to find the man that you've created for me. I want to get married. I want to have children. I want us to grow old together. I want us to model what it looks like to be a godly guy and a godly gal in this culture that is so confused about what marriage ought to be. Oh, God, please. (laughs) I want to find Mr. Right. But Lord, if it's your will for me to remain single for the rest of my life, your will be done. It's not my desire. My desire is to get married, but your will be done. Do you hear the raw sincerity, the radical submission? It's the young married couple. They've been married for about five years. They desperately want to start a family. The husband and wife, they've been trying for two years now. Every month, their hopes are dashed. Together, they go to God in prayer. Father, help us start a family. We desperately want a biological child. You you know that... We will love that child as you love us. We know that, you know that we will raise that child in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We will raise him or her in church. We will do our best to introduce that child to a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We will give our child the greatest gift, which is the calm assurance that daddy loves mama and mama loves daddy. Oh, Father, please, we understand that you're the one who opens the womb of the woman, so please, please. Open the womb of this wife. Help us to have a child. Because, Father, we don't understand why we haven't had a child yet. We've been trying for two years. All of our friends, they have children. It seems like they get pregnant at the drop of a hat. Promiscuous teenagers, they get pregnant at an alarming rate. Oh, God, why can't we get pregnant? God, please, our desire is that we will raise children who know you. So help us to get pregnant. Lord, we just bear our soul before you yet. If it's your will for us not to have any children, your will be done. It's not what we want, but if it's what you want, your will be done. If you don't want us to have any children that look up and biologically call us mom and dad, then maybe you'll open the door for adoption. Maybe Maybe you'll just tell us to pour into the children and students in our faith family. But regardless, your will be done. Do you hear the prayer that has raw sincerity and it's punctuated with radical submission? It's the prayer of the cancer patient who says, Lord, I'm too young to die of leukemia. And I know you're able to do immeasurably more than I could ever ask, think, or imagine. And I'm just asking you to heal my body. And and I'm asking that that you touch me in such a way and you'll get all the glory. In fact, I'll tell everybody that this test is part of my testimony and that you, oh God, you are the one who has healed my body. Please, Lord, act in such a way that you receive glory and honor. Heal my cancer-ridden body. But God, if it's your will that this is what takes me out of this world, your will be done. If It's your will for me to have to walk through the chemo, the radiation, the pain. if It's your will for me to walk through the nausea and the vomiting and the losing of weight. If it's your will for me to suffer in this way, Your will be done. Do you hear the raw sincerity? Do you hear the radical submission? It's the wife who just learned that her husband was cheating on her. He just walked in and said, I don't love you anymore. There's somebody else. He packed his bags, loaded the car, and drove over the horizon. This woman begins to pray. Lord, I... I, I don't know what to say. I didn't see this coming. I didn't know this was happening. Lord, I don't know if I want to kill him or keep him. Lord, I, I don't know if I can live with him and I'm not real sure I can live without him. I feel so betrayed. I feel so violated. God, I, I feel so so sad, so overwhelmed. God, I don't know. I'm just a mess. I don't know even what to pray for. I'm just going to pray that your will be done. I don't know what that means. Oh, whatever's going to bring you the most glory, whether that's a, a reconciliation or whether it's divorce, I don't know. Because I, I know that every time a Christian gets divorced, it says to the watching world that grace doesn't work. But Lord, I also know that you have given me permission to to, to divorce this deadbeat because of what he just did to me. Oh, Lord, I don't know what to do. Lord, I just I just pray your will be done. Whatever's going to bring you the most glory. Friends, do you, do you hear the raw sincerity that's punctuated with radical submission? It's the man at work who says, God, I need this promotion. You know and I know I can do the job. And you know and I know that my family needs the money. I'm more qualified than any applicant that's applied for this job. Oh God, you know that I need it. And if I don't get this, then the unemployment line could be right around the corner. So God, please give me this job. But Father, if it means that me having this job is gonna take me away from you, then I don't want it. If it means this job is gonna take me away from church, then I don't want it. If this job means it's gonna take me away from my family, then I don't want it. So your will be done. Whatever you want, your will be done. Once again, it's prayer that is permeated with raw sincerity and punctuated with radical submission. A life of following the Lord may not always make you happy, but it will make you holy. A life of following the Lord may not be carefree, but it will always be Christ-like. You follow Christ, it may not have the absence of suffering, but it will be accompanied by the Savior. See, God may not keep you from it, but he will keep you through it. He may not keep you from the cancer, but he'll keep you through the cancer. He may not keep you from the unemployment, but he'll keep you through the unemployment. He may not keep you from the betrayal, but he'll keep you through the betrayal. He may not keep you from the heartache, but he will keep you through the heartache. In Hebrews chapter five, verse seven, it says that Jesus prayed And he prayed with loud tears and cries to the one who could save him from death. And his prayers were heard because of his reverent submission. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7. Because of his reverent submission. Jesus prayed and his prayers were permeated with raw sincerity. And punctuated with radical submission. God the Father did not keep God the Son from the cross, but he kept him through the cross. God the Father did not keep God the Son from the pain, but He kept Him through the pain. God the Father did not keep God the Son from the tomb, but He kept Him through the tomb. Oh my friends, God the Father did not keep God the Son from experiencing hell on the cross, but He kept Him through experiencing hell on the cross because on the opposite side of the cross was the crown. And when He went through the glory, He experienced the glory. Jesus endured the cross for your behalf and for mine simply because He had furrowed faith Faithfulness into his spirit. He had prayed with raw sincerity and with radical submission. Not my will, your will be done. And I don't know about you, but I am delighted today that this is how Jesus prayed. I am so thankful today that Jesus did not throw in the towel, walk away, say, I'm out. If I don't get my way, forget it, God. No, he prayed with radical submission unto God's will. And that's how you and I need to pray. So today, I pray to the one who is the glorified Christ. I pray to the one who is the risen Savior. And like you, I serve a risen Savior. And he's in the world today. And I know that he is living. Whatever men may say, I see his hand of mercy and I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and he talks with me a long life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives because he lives within my heart. My friends, this is the world's toughest prayer. Jesus prayed it. He gives us power to pray so we pray and it's permeated with raw sincerity and it's punctuated with radical submission so my friends today if you do not know Christ i invite you to this savior the savior who can keep you through it and if you do know Christ today i invite you to pray like jesus the altar's open you respond as the spirit leads. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for sending your son to save us. We thank you for praying and teaching us how to pray. And so this morning, I I just ask you that your children come to you with raw sincerity and radical submission. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.